Good to have everybody here. Uh, we're excited about you being a part of of what we're doing here at Tomoka during this season. Uh, again, just can't can't thank you enough as a church for the way that you have uh, been faithful to everything that we have taught over the last several years. You've stepped up in in big ways, in ways that we can't wait to share with you as a church when we get back together. Uh, it's a big week for Florida, as it is for lots of states, as we begin to sort of uh, open the door a little bit for uh, this state to open back up as restaurants and retail stores have begun to open back up. And, and so it's a, it's a big week. It's an exciting week, and yet it's a little bit uh, of nerve-wracking week as well, as we're uncertain how it's going to look as we begin to integrate with people once again, uh, as we've been uh, stuck at home and our safer at home order. Uh, and so uh, our prayers go out to you and to your families as we continue to figure out how to integrate back uh, into life a little bit more normal than we've experienced over the last few weeks. And because of that, we've been talking uh, here about hope in the dark. And, and uh, you know, listen, I'm not, a, I'm not a big fan of the dark. I grew up uh, in the country where we had no air conditioning, and and so you slept with the windows open all the time, it seemed like, uh, except in the dead of winter, and, and so you, there's tons of noises and sounds, and I grew up, I grew up a little bit, um, I grew up a little bit scared of the dark, uh, uncertain of what was out there, and as I, as I've grown up over the years and, and, and gotten older, I've learned, um, I like the dark now. There's something about the dark that I enjoy. The sights and the sounds of the dark sort of intrigue me at times. But that's, that's physical darkness. And there's a huge difference between the things that we feel and experience in physical darkness than the things that we feel in those places of dark that are emotional and spiritual and mental and psychological. Those places of dark happened in broad daylight. The thing about physical darkness is you never deal with the fears or the anxieties of it unless it's physically dark. The kind of dark night of the soul that Shane mentioned a couple weeks ago happens in the middle of your work day. It happens in the middle of your school day. It happens in the middle of your lunch. Uh, it happens with your family when you're on the beach. The dark night of the soul and the things that we struggle with in that darkness, they can be overwhelming and ultimately they can be life-changing for people. And so we're talking during this season of the global pandemic that has completely changed life as we know it to a large degree. How do we learn to find hope in the dark? And as we've said, as I've said uh, over the last few weeks, listen, for so, for so many of you, COVID-19 is just a blip on the radar compared to the other issues of life that you've been dealing with prior to the pandemic even starting. Uh, for many of you, this is a very small piece of the darkness that you face. And our, our hope, our desire is in the preaching of God's word that you'll find hope in that darkness. And we, we're, we're walking through a, a letter in the Old Testament written by a prophet by the name of Habakkuk. Habakkuk means to wrestle, to cling to, to embrace. It communicates this idea, the Hebrew word for Habakkuk communicates the idea that it's, that it's hugging and hanging on to in an embrace at the same time wrestling 
with that same person to come to some kind of peace and understanding. And, and listen, I have no doubt that wherever you're at in your journey, whether you're not a believer, uh, whether you're a brand new believer or whether you're a long time believer, I, I don't believe this is a, this is a biblical concept in the sense that I think every person understands the dynamic that you can wrestle with the same thing that you can embrace. That you, that we spend a large part of our time wrestling with the thing that we love the most, right? Fighting to understand it and accept it. Well, at the same time, loving it. Listen, if you have a teenage daughter or a teenage son, you get this, right? There's an element as a parent that you wrestle with these these know-it-alls, right? You wrestle with these, with these children that are yours because they're so defiant at times and they so lack understanding. And yet there's a part of you that always wants to embrace them and never, ever, ever let them go. Habakkuk was a prophet who lived out that dilemma. And I think a lot of us well, listen, I don't think a lot of us, I know that all of us at some time do the same thing. We wrestle with that dilemma. And so we began this process of hope in the darkness last week by talking about the idea of wrestling. Listen, there's no peace. There's no peace in the life of a believer if you're not free to wrestle with God. There's no freedom in that. If you were raised to believe in church that God said it, I believe it, that settles it, then you're missing out on part of the journey necessary for you to find peace. Because in this world, Jesus said, you'll have trouble. You're going to have trouble. Our promise is that we can be of good cheer because Jesus has overcome the world. But that doesn't come without a wrestling match. Without you and I having the freedom to express our, our concerns. Habakkuk said to God, how long, God? What are you waiting on? What's taking so long? Why are you doing what you're doing, which to me seems like nothing? Listen, for all of us, there are situations, experiences that happen in our life that we just don't get. They make no sense. And if you don't believe that you are free spiritually to voice that to God, you're going to have a hard time finding peace. And so last week we talked to this idea of experiencing that freedom. Well, in chapter 2 of Habakkuk, he simply doubles down on his stance. He simply doubles down on where he was at last week. Listen to Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 1. And the following verses. And listen to what Habakkuk says about doubling down on his place of, I don't get it, God. Because I asked how long and I asked what you were going to do. And now, God, you've told me your plan. I'm not done yet. And Habakkuk says this. I'm going to stand at my watch and I'm going to station myself on the ramparts. Right? I'm going to find a place and I'm going to stand and I'm going to look. Listen to this. This is a human, an imperfect human talking to an omnipotent, omniscient, all-powerful, all-knowing God. And he says, I'm going to look and I'm going to see what he's going to say to me. And, and this is one of my favorite lines in the whole Bible. He says, and I'm and I'm going to see what he'll say to me. And then what answer I'm going to give to this complaint, right? There's very few things that are as frustrating in a conversation than talking to a person and knowing that while you're talking, the only thing they're doing is thinking about what they're going to say next, right? 
We, we see that all the time in, in our conversations with people. Habakkuk says to God, how long? What are you doing, God? The world around me is falling apart. Your people are acting horribly. There are things and situations that I don't understand what you're waiting on. Listen, there's no person listening to the sound of my voice that has not felt that way at times with God. The difference is you may have not felt comfortable expressing it. You may not have felt like you could say it. Listen, if you learned anything last week, my hope is that you learned you can say those things to God. Habakkuk did. But then God expressed his divinity. And God explained to to Habakkuk out of his goodness and his kindness, here's my plan. Listen, you're going to watch and be amazed at what I do. And here's the thing. God's plan did not satisfy Habakkuk's curiosity, his questions. It didn't alleviate his pain. It, it so failed in Habakkuk's mind that he doubles down in chapter 2 and says, listen, I'm going to stand. I'm going to stand my post. And I'm going to listen to what you say, God. And I'm going to formulate in my head what I'm going to say back to you. I, I love, 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 love that picture because I think for so many of us, it's a missing part of what we're talking about, right? The formula that I have found in a back kick is this. There's a place where humanity has to be expressed. And then there's a place where divinity gets expressed. And there's a place where you and I choose the next action. In chapter one, it was humanity expressed in pain. What I'm seeing, what I'm feeling, what I'm experiencing, God, if you are good and if you are all powerful, what are you doing? And then I see a God in kindness respond to Habakkuk with his plan. And then I watched a human in chapter one of Habakkuk wrestle with that information. Maybe that's where you're at today. Listen, every experience of the Christian life is not the mountaintop. It's not the carnival for 4th of July. It's not a Saturday on the beach when Florida opens it up to sunbathers again. Sometimes the only thing you get in your season of life with God is the wrestling match. And then in chapter 2, we find the same formula. Humanity expressed. Because what, what Habakkuk got in response to God was, I, I, I'm, I'm not only not okay, God. I'm so not okay that I'm going to double down. I'm going to stand my ground. And while you're giving me your answer, I'm going to formulate my response. Listen, that's not, that's not an unusual thing. Listen to, I want to read a passage that Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10, 13 to sort of get us on the same page. It says this, no temptation. The Greek word there for temptation is the idea of a trial, right? The idea of whatever this thing is, I'm going to crank the heat up. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to force the impurities out of this element, out of this ore, to where what we have left, once that impurity is, is scraped off the top of the barrel, is going to be pure. So here's what Paul writes. He says, the temptation word is a human translation of the Greek word. And the Greek word means trial, right? He says, so no trial, nothing you and I experience that has overtaken you, right? No temptation or trial has overtaken you except... What is common to mankind and God is faithful. He will not let you be 
tempted or tried beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted or tried, he'll also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Listen, whatever you're going through, it, it could be all connected to the, to the virus, the financial difficulties, the social isolation, the loneliness, the fear of contracting the virus and dying. And maybe it has nothing to do with COVID-19. Maybe it's just that life stinks. You know, my daughter came home. I said to your daughter, came home crying the other night. I said, what's the matter? I don't know. I'm just tired of being miserable every day, she said. Right? I'm smart enough to filter in the 17-year-old drama, right? But the reality is that for some of you, that's, that's where you're at. I don't know. I'm just tired of being miserable every day. Maybe you're miserable at work, and maybe you're miserable in your career, and maybe you're miserable in your marriage or your relationship. Uh, maybe, you're, maybe you're dealing with a darkness of health. Maybe you're dealing with a darkness of despair. I don't know, but, but what I know is this, that whatever you and I are dealing with at any particular time, it's not uncommon. No trial that you and I face is brand new to just us. It's common to every man, which is why when you and I, in our seasons of despair and difficulty and darkness, when we try to do it alone, we violate the first principle of the reality that everything you and I experience only should unite us and not divide us because it's common to every man. This notion that nobody gets me, this notion that you wouldn't understand, this notion that somehow our trial is so unique and so special that nobody would ever understand it. Listen, that's just a lie from the devil. That is not true. Yes, your story may be colored blue or mine would be colored purple. And your words may be red when my word would be black. But the trial is common to every man. So listen, if you're in a space where your humanity is not just being expressed to God, but you're doubling down on the fact that you just don't get it, listen, the first thing I want to encourage you to understand in your humanity is this, we're all on the same page. We may not be on the same page at the same time, but we all know what it's like to be on that page. We all know what it's like to experience the dark night of the soul. We all know what it's like to feel hopeless in the dark. We all understand the concept of trial. And when we think that we don't have any fellow sojourners along the way, and we isolate ourselves, that wolf that Shane talked about, those two wolves that Shane talked about a couple weeks ago on the weekend, it's impossible to feed the good wolf Because we've been isolated by the bad wolf. Listen, there's power in the lies of the devil when we express our humanity. Don't let your unique story convince you that nobody else would get you. It's not true. And then realize this. It's okay to double down. I want to read, I want to read to you some, some passages from the New Living Translation of Job's story. And we talked last week, Job's story, right? Righteous man did all that he could. So righteous, he offered up sacrifices to God on behalf of his children just in case they did something wrong. And yet, God saw fit to allow the, the 
elements of his life that he had built it on completely be wiped away in a series of tragedies that you and I can't even fathom. And left God alone with a wife who said to Job, just curse him and die so we can move on. And so Job expresses, listen to some of these expressions of, of Job doubling down. Job spoke again. If my misery could be weighed and my troubles be put on the scales, they would outweigh all the sands of the sea. That's why I spoke impulsively. For the Almighty has struck me down with his arrows. God's done this. The poison of God's arrows infects my spirit. God's terrors are lined up against me. Don't I have a right to complain? Don't wild donkeys bray when they find no grass? And oxen bellow when they have no food? Don't people complain about unsalted food? Does anyone want the tasteless white of an egg? My appetite disappears when I look at it. I gag, I gag at the thought of eating it. Oh, that I might have my request. Listen to this. And God would grant my desire. I wish he would crush me. I wish he would reach out his hand and just kill me. At least I can take comfort in this. Despite the pain, I have not denied the words of the Holy One. I don't have the strength to endure. I have nothing to live for. Do I have the strength of a stone? Is my body made of bronze? No, I am utterly helpless without any chance of success. I bet many of you didn't even know that was in the Bible. I bet many of you didn't even know that you could talk that way about or to God. If we heard friends say stuff like that today, we would, we would panic and we'd want to bake your act then because of our fears that they would harm themselves. Listen, the pain, the pain that people experience along the way in their humanity is overwhelming. Job was a human being, a father and a husband. He was a, he was an employer who loved his, his staff. And he loved honoring God and God allowed Satan to take it all the way in a conversation that Job couldn't even participate in. And Job's friends and their wisdom trying to explain God's actions, which is never a good thing, right? Human beings can explain the actions of an infant and almighty God. So don't, don't try. The best that we can do in those places is let humanity be expressed. And Job did it. God, just kill me. Just kill me. Why wouldn't I complain? A donkey complains when there's no food, right? I would gag at the sight of an unsalted, nasty white egg. Why would I not complain and beg you to crush me in my pain? And Job didn't quit there. Job chapter 10, he says this. I'm disgusted with my life. Let me complain freely. My bitter soul must complain. I'll say to God, don't simply condemn me. Tell me the charge you're bringing against me. Sound familiar? I, I, you know, I don't know about you, but I certainly can relate to the idea that I want God to, to explain himself at times to me. I mean, I can, you can't help, but when you prepare a sermon like this to think about your own life and some of the seasons of, some of the seasons you go through, when your humanity is expressing, you don't understand it. I mean, there are times in my life where I, I demanded an answer from God because I just, I just didn't feel anything but pain for what I was being put through. And of course, I had friends like Job's friends. This is all your fault. There's just God punishing you. And all I knew 
was that my pain needed to be expressed to God. And I needed to know that it was okay. Job said this in Job 13, 1 through 3. He says, look, I have seen all of this with my own eyes. And I've heard it with my own ears. And now I understand. I know as much as you do. He's talking to his friends. You're no better than I am. As for me, this is Job's, this is Job's landing spot. As for me, I would speak directly to the Almighty. I want to argue my case with God Himself, right? I want, I want to make my stand. Habakkuk said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stand on the ramparts. I'm going to, I'm going to be right here, God. Listen. If we're going to find any hope in darkness, whatever that dark that you're dealing with is, that's not physical, but it's emotional or it's, or it's marital or it's financial or it's parental or it's psychological, whatever the dark, the dark is that's in your life that you're trying to find hope in. Listen, you and I are going to have to develop this dual response to God that sometimes we wrestle with everything we know about God. And in that wrestle, we have to express our pain. And sometimes when we're trying to embrace God and never let him go, because we know, we know there's no other place to go. There's nothing else to build our life and our hope on other than this God who we believe in. And so in the middle of trying to embrace God as we wrestle with him, you've got to feel free to double down. You got to feel free, but you got to make your stand. You got to make your stand. Paul said it this way in Philippians chapter four, verse one. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for my joy and my crown stand firm, stand firm in the Lord in this way. Dear friends, and here's why you stand firm. Philippians 1, 6, Paul says this. I'm confident of this, that he who's began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Listen, we talked the very first week that if we're ever going to find hope in darkness, we who have been raised and nurtured to have fear because life ends, marriages end, jobs end, relationships end, everything ends. We are nurtured to have fear. If we don't have an anchor on the other side to balance that out, we can't walk by faith. We'll always walk by sight. Our anchor for our hope is in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ himself. And so here's what Paul says. When you're overwhelmed by the darkness in your life and you're trying to find hope, wrestle. Man, wrestle with God and ask him how long and ask him why and ask him what and ask him and then listen. And if God's answer doesn't satisfy you, double down, but do it from a place where you stand, where you stand, where you don't give up, where you don't walk away. See, the mistake I made when my life fell apart and I stood my and I made my plea to God was I didn't stand. I fled. And I ran for seven years, seven long, painful years. I didn't stand. Job said, listen, I'm making my stand. I want to make my stand and I want to do it before the Lord. And Paul said, listen, stand firm. And here's why. Because God who makes promises and keeps promises, you know that. Because the very first promise he made was about Jesus winning. And you may not have seen the risen Lord. And I may not have seen him. 
But we hear tell of a story of well over 500 people who witnessed, who witnessed Jesus' bodily resurrection from the dead. And no book in, in, in antiquity has ever gone through as much scrutiny as the Bible has. And yet it has not been disproven that these stories are false. These are eyewitness narratives of a promise made and a promise kept. And that same God makes this promise to you and me in the midst of our struggle. God, who began this work in you, he's going to complete it. He's going to finish it. And listen, it may be, it may be incredibly difficult for you. But it's okay to double down. But do it where you stand. Don't do it running. Do it where you stand. Because Habakkuk 2 goes on to the formula. Listen, God isn't a God that just lets us scream and holler and never, never responds. God's divinity has to be expressed as well. Let's go back, right? We're trying to figure out how to find hope in the dark. Wrestling is okay. But as Habakkuk's name tells us, there's got to be an element of, bra- of embracing too. Not letting go, which requires us to stand firm. But I want to know, I want us to know who we're embracing, right? If you go all the way back to Genesis, the very first words, right? The very first words, roughly, were these words that God spoke to Adam and Eve. Listen to them, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 9. Here's the words and I'll give you the context. But the Lord God called to the man Adam and said, where are you? First, one of the first things that we know in recorded history that God said to Adam, where are you? Why is that a big deal? Maybe you're familiar with the story, maybe you're not. But the story goes that Adam and Eve were placed in the Garden of Eden, created by God to have dominion and rule over everything. Every bird of the sea, right? Every, every fish of the sea and every bird of the air. Right over every over every living thing, they would have dominion, and they had the tree of life in the Garden of Eden to sustain themselves forever. And all God said was, "In your love for me, choose me, and don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil." Satan, who had already attempted a coup in heaven, got into the story, communicated Eve. That there is more to what God says than you can ever imagine. Tempts Eve. She eats of the fruit. She eats of the fruit and then gives it to Adam. And all of a sudden the Bible says their eyes are opened. And they were naked and ashamed. So they hid themselves. Here's what's amazing about those words. God said to Adam, where are you? (laughs) We always ask this question. Did God know did God know where Adam was? Of course he did. And as, many, and, and as many of us know, if we know something in a conversation, it's hard for us to keep our mouth shut. Right? You've had conversations with know-it-alls. They just know everything. No matter what the situation is, no matter what the story is, they know everything. God shows up in the middle of Adam and Eve's Greatest failure, obviously, in their worst moment, and listen to this, in the moment of their shame and their pain. And he knows where they are. And yet he chooses this approach. Adam, 
Where are you? It strikes me that our God, our God, when he knows, he knows it all. Instead of coming at us as a know-it-all, he comes at us with empathy. The words that God spoke, where are you? Tell me that's a God who understands my pain. He could have walked in and get out from behind the tree, you two. I know what you did. Instead, he gently says, where are you? And it wasn't just God. Listen to, listen to these two words in John eleven thirty five. You can read them out loud with me wherever you're at. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Why is that significant? Because Jesus and his friends, his disciples had heard that Lazarus was sick. And they got message for Jesus to come. Because they trusted Jesus to heal Lazarus. Instead, Jesus tarried. He procrastinated. And by the time that Jesus arrived and was lectured by Martha and Mary, Lazarus had been dead four days. He wasn't on death's doorstep and he hadn't just died. Lazarus had died and had been wrapped with those grave claws and he had been sprinkled with spices and perfume and he lay dead for four days and according to Jewish custom, had begun the decaying process on day four. And Jesus knew. He knew he was going to raise him from the dead. He knew what was going to happen. He knew that he had the power to do it. He had the permission to do it. He knew what was going to happen. And then out comes the sisters, one by one. Where were you? If you'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened. Right? What took you so long? We told you. We asked you. We begged you. If you'd have been here, Jesus, this would not have happened. They were hurt. They were in pain. Their brother had died and Jesus knew the end of the story. And instead of being a know-it-all, you know what he did? Jesus wept. That's my king. <laughs> that's my savior. That's your king. And that's your savior. You see, not only do we get alone in the dark and think nobody gets my story because we forget every trial that we endure is common to man. We also get alone in this kind of idea. That God, God doesn't get it. Right? God's going to be this, you know... Hellfire and damnation God who's going to point fingers and who's going to judge us, right? In reality, our God is a God who even when he knows it, weeps and asks this gentle question. Adam, where are you? You see, the great thing about, the great thing about God's response to Habakkuk in chapter two is that it communicates the same kind of God to us. Listen, God, I don't get what you're doing. Habakkuk said, how long? How long are you going to, how long are you putting up this? 
How long are you going to let your people act this way? How long are you going to tolerate the injustice? And, and how long are you going to, toler- are, are going to tolerate what these people are inflicting on others and calling themselves your children? And God says, listen, i got a great plan. You're going to be amazed by it. I'm going to use the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, to destroy these people. And Habakkuk's like, you've got to be kidding me. That's your plan? Your plan isn't for revival and repentance? Your plan is to pass judgment with some of the most ruthless people in the entire world? I don't get it. I'm going to wrestle with that. And then Habakkuk says, listen, I'm going to make my stand. I'm standing right here and I'm doubling down. God, I don't get it. I have no idea what you're doing. As a matter of fact, I'm going to listen to your response and I'm formulating mine while you do it. And a God who knows everything shows up. The same God who showed up to Adam and Eve and said this, not screaming, not yelling, asking. Not because he didn't know. Because God's goodness and grace to our humanity is shaped in these three words. Where are you? Or they're shaped in these two words from a savior who knew he had the power and the permission to raise Lazarus from the dead said this, Jesus wept. He cried. Why would he cry? Why didn't he just tell Mary and Martha to go back home and be quiet? You don't know what you're doing. You have no idea who I am or what's about to happen. No, God's response to her humanity is always one of goodness and kindness. Here's what he said to Habakkuk in chapter 2, verse 12. Woe to him. This is, this is part of God's explanation to Habakkuk. And it's just filled with loving grace and not arrogance and 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 being cold to him because he knows more than Habakkuk does. He says, woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed. He's talking about, listen, Habakkuk, you can understand. I'm going to take care of the Babylonians. They're not going to get away with this. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed, establishes a town by injustice. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire? That the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Listen, at some point in time, Habakkuk, it's all going to be okay. God, listen, our humanity needs to be expressed as we try to wrestle with and embrace this God who we love more than anything. Because life is hard and it just doesn't make sense. Listen, it doesn't make sense to me. This whole COVID-19 doesn't make sense to me. The fact that we live in a world where so many people are just, they've lost. They've just lost. They've lost family members. They've lost jobs. They've lost income. They're probably going to lose homes. It just doesn't make sense to me. A God who's so omnipotent, a God with all the power, with all the knowledge, and who's everywhere from beginning to end, I, I don't understand it. But that's just one thing I don't understand. There's so many other things I don't, I don't get and understand. And I want to know it's okay as I try to stand my ground that I can also express my humanity to God in that fight to embrace him. Because here's what I know. The God who I'm doubling down on and not understanding is a God who says to people in pain, where are you? Or weeps for us during our loss. Or takes the time to explain to Habakkuk, even when his accusations were irrational and just plain incorrect, 
God took the time out of goodness and grace for his child and explained it to him. He didn't lecture him. He didn't tell him, you know nothing, you fool. Because our God is a God of empathy and compassion. He's a God of empathy for you in this season as you wrestle and embrace. But in the middle of God's response in Habakkuk, we get, we get down to what it takes to embrace God. This is why being a believer is not for just, I said this a couple weeks ago, listen, you know, people who are critics of faith, right? Say that, that people who are driven to faith are people who are, who are weak people, right? Who are just trying to find something to hang on to. And I say, listen, preach it. Because listen, if you haven't gotten to a place that you're spiritually broken and bankrupt enough to cling to God, you've got no chance of holding on to him. You bet faith is a crutch for people who are weak. Because God endears himself to the weak. Of course he does. But staying, standing firm in a world of trouble that makes no sense to us, that requires incredible strength. It requires standing firm. It requires leaving your tears on your pillow at night and finding some joy in the morning. And it requires that day after day after day sometimes. Because there is no easy out. There is no easy answer to this. And Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4 says it. In the middle of God's explanation to Habakkuk to be sympathetic to his struggle, God says this. God says, see the enemy is puffed up. His desires aren't upright. But the righteous, those in a right standing with God, that righteous person will live by his faith by his faithfulness listen if you're going to find hope in the dark you better be prepared to wrestle you better be prepared to express it you should be prepared to listen to god and then you better be prepared to to engage in what it takes to figure that out and if god's answer isn't good enough because sometimes it's not sometimes it's not And there's more that needs to be said. You need to know it's okay to do that. And you need to know that you're not alone. That this that this trial is not just you. And that you're not so unique and so special that nobody would get it. That's a devil's lie. And know this. That in that place where you've chosen to make your stand and question God. And listen, (laughs) Patrick said, I'm going to listen. But while I'm listening to you, God, I'm formulating my response to you. Man, I love that we can do that with God. Know that the God who waits for your response is a God who has empathy even when he's a know-it-all. And says things like this, where are you? And I'm weeping for your loss and your pain. But when it's all said and done, the only way to truly wrestle with and embrace God is you've got to stand on faith. Your persuasion That God is a God who he says he is and a God who you can trust. If you're not persuaded, listen, if you are not persuaded at the end of all of this struggle, at the end of all of this expression, that God is a God who you can be persuaded to believe in, there's no hope in the dark. There's addiction. There's idolatry. There's whatever we can find to cling to. The righteous will ultimately live by their faith.
by their persuasion in God. Which is why we say these things all the time, church. Read your Bible. Because faith, persuasion in God comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Right? Don't forsake the assembling together as some are in the habit of doing. But encourage one another, especially as we see the day approaching. We may not be able to gather together here collectively in a physical space that's empty. But we can collectively gather together across a different medium. We can gather together on a Wednesday night, a Tuesday morning, Saturday night, a Sunday morning. We can gather together in community groups. Listen, if you're going to embrace God at the end of a season of wrestling with God, you're going to do it by your persuasion in God. Faith isn't cheap. You can't buy it at Family Dollar. You can't pick it up at the everything below five store. Faith, man, it is an expensive commodity. And it only takes a little bit to work. But you and I are going to have to stand firm. We're going to have to make our peace. And we're going to have to hang on. Here's what Peter said in Second Peter chapter 3. He said, above all, you must understand that in the last days, listen, this is our life, that in the last days, scoffers are going to come and they're going to scoff and they're going to follow their own evil desires. And they're going to say this, where is this quote unquote coming that God promised? Ever since our ancestors have died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed, the flood. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But don't forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years are like a day. Listen, you and I, in this season of struggle, trying to find hope in the dark, it's going to require a little bit of waiting in our faith. You're going to have to wait. That's what God told Habakkuk. It's going to happen, Habakkuk. Listen, I know everything. I am a know-it-all, Habakkuk. I'm not going to approach you that way or treat you that way because I'm a God who loves you and empathizes with your pain. But if you want to be in a right relationship with me, you're going to have to be persuaded in me. Listen, church, if you're going to find hope in the dark, you're, listen, you're, you and I are all persuaded by something. There's some place we stand. Maybe for you it's alcohol. Maybe for you it's work. Maybe for you it's in, a, in, in, a, in another relationship. Maybe for you it's a different kind of addiction, a drug addiction. Maybe it's, maybe it's exercise. But we all find something to stand on when our life crumbles apart. For those who want to embrace God, they're going to have to find that place that they stand firm in is their faith. Their unwavering persuasion in God. And then we're going to have to wait sometimes there. We're just going to have to wait. God told Habakkuk, listen, this is going to happen, but you're going to have to wait for it. And here's why. Because one day with the Lord is like a thousand. He just doesn't do things on the same time schedule that we do. He didn't think the way we think. We learned that last week. And now we know his time schedule is not the same. So in our persuasion of God that we wait. And Habakkuk closes it out with these words in Habakkuk chapter 2. Of what value is an idol? 
Listen, there's a temptation in the middle of all this to cling to something else. Find something else more tangible than just my persuasion in God and waiting. He says, what value is an idol? Especially when it's carved by a person. An image that teaches lies. For the one who makes the idol trust in his own creation. (laughs) He makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to the wood, come to life. Or to the lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver, but there's no breath in it. The Lord, on the other hand, is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. You see, at the end of the day, idolatry, whatever that thing is we put our hope in, it all, it all boils, down, boils down to this. It always boils down to this. Are you going to put your faith and trust in you? Because isn't that what an idol is? Something we just created? Something that we decided that could give us guidance and hope and be the anchor of our life? Or are we going to put our trust in the Lord who's in his holy temple? Sometimes the best thing that we can do in finding that embrace is just relying in the dark on our absolute persuasion that God is who he says he is and that he makes and keeps promises. And sometimes... You just have to stand in silence as you wait for God to do what he promised he would do. I know it's not the most encouraging space, but Habakkuk isn't done. Next week, we reach the climax of Habakkuk's story and realize that for humans to wrestle and embrace with God should always lead to the same end. So come back. Let's see how the story ends together. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name. I can't imagine all the stories that are being played out before you in this church community and in this world. I can't fathom just in a cursory glance of headlines on news on newsrooms and news stations across the world I am overwhelmed by the headlines and yet you know every story so I have no doubt there are people listening right now who are trying to find hope in the dark so I pray God for your spirit your word to lead them to a place of peace where they can wrestle and a place of peace where they can express their pain. And then I pray, God, that you would keep your promise to come to them in their greatest hour of need with your love and compassion and that you would wrap your arms around them and be the God who comforts all. And I pray that as we search for the hope in the dark, he'll prepare us. He'll prepare us for that place and time where we speak from a heart who didn't leave, who didn't faint away, but who stood their ground in the midst of that storm so that we can learn how to express that in the right way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.